remember that, uh, you know, Jesus loves children. And he wants them to come to him. And so <clears throat> we need to uh, pray like we've never prayed before for our children. I believe that. And we've always had a, a strong heart for children's ministry here at the church. And I'll be honest with you, COVID took a big toll on that, as did COVID take a lot. And I know we blame COVID a lot, but it did take a big toll. And uh, we're working back, and you know our youth program is doing well, but we want to continue to grow in that area and reaching the youth. It has always been our, our understanding that it is easier to reach kids at an early age and keep them from getting into very, very bad things than it is to rehabilitate them after they've been in it. And so with the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit, we can do that. And so uh, if you would just, that was just been on my mind. I know there's been some shootings at the college campuses and different campuses. And um, we are definitely living in the last days. And I don't, you don't have to watch the news to know that, but the news does show some of that. But I want you to know there's hope in Jesus Christ. And our message will run along with that tonight. The title of the message is You Are Mine. Now, I know this was spoken to Israel, but it's a very, very apropos passage, as is all the Bible. I think all the Bible has an application to us right now. It is the Word of God. No period of time has ever caught God by surprise. He is sovereign. He knows everything, the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning, and everything in between. And so, <clears throat> if you will uh, pray with me, we will... Verse by verse, go through Isaiah chapter 43. Father, we pause for a few moments and we invite your presence here. We ask you, Lord, to work in and through us. We desperately need you, Lord. Our country needs you. Our homes need you. Our children need you. We need you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, reveal your spirit, that you would lead us and guide us, Father, that you would give us courage in these days that we might stand for the truth of your word, but that we might do so with a Christ-like spirit, that we might show the world who you are. I ask you, Father, that you would help me tonight as I, as I try to teach this. Lord, I cannot do this without you. I yield myself to you, and I pray for your strength and your power. We are so thankful for the kids that are in the Christian education building across the street. We're thankful for each one of them. And I pray you would bless each one, that you would draw them to yourselves, self. And Father, I pray that you would bless the teachers and that they would just be uh, emboldened with your spirit, that they would be encouraged, they would be energized. And Father, we want to see you do an incredible work. We acknowledge without you we can do nothing. Again, I pray for your help and ask you to bless in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 43, you are mine. Verse 1, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have redeemed you. In this passage, God begins by telling the nation of Israel not to fear. 
Why would he tell them that? Well, he gives us specific reasons. First of all, he says, I created you, O Jacob. He is a creator, and as is any creator of anything, whoever creates something loves that, that object. And God created Israel for his glory, and he created them. And because he created them, because he formed them, of course he loves them. He says, I have redeemed you. He says, I have called you by your name. You are mine. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a thought? Some years ago, there was a man on the Oprah Winfrey show. I don't remember his name, but he wrote a series of books. In those books, it was really just a mystical spiritualism that was not any related to the Bible. But he made a statement that really created a stir amongst evangelical theologians. And it created a stir because it should have created a stir. He made the statement and to which Oprah agreed, and I'm not picking on Oprah. I'm just stating the facts. She made a statement, or he made a statement that she agreed with, is that we are all God's children. Now that is what secular world would want you to think, we are all God's children, but not everyone is God's child. Specifically in the scriptures, there has to be a relationship to God through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to be a child of God. Now, Whatever they might have been meaning is that God is sovereign and that all people were created and all that. I understand what they're saying, but it's not biblically accurate. The biblically accurate thing is God chose Israel. Those were his chosen, his chosen seed. And we, the Gentiles who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, were adopted into the family of God. That's how we became his children. There had to be an adoption take place. And that adoption was through faith in Jesus Christ. So now we Gentiles who believe are children of God. And so you have two entities. You have the church and then you have Israel. Israel were God's chosen people. He is speaking to Israel right now and he says, you are mine. Why are they his? Because God chose them. You say, well, why did God choose Israel out of all the nations he created? I don't know. He's God. I mean, there are people who have speculations about that, but he's God and he doesn't have to do that. But he gives them a statement that says, you do not have to fear because you are mine. You're mine. Most children, unless their dad is not a good dad who's abusive or whatever, but most children who have a loving, secure father... They are comfortable. They don't fear things when they're in the presence of the Father. And I will tell you this. He is telling them, you need not fear, Israel, because you're mine. I have a plan for you. But now that makes us think about something. Because wasn't there people in the nation of Israel who turned their backs on God? Wasn't there people who uh, performed or, I guess you would say, worshipped idols and They were practicing idolatry. Just because someone was born in the nation of Israel does not mean they were part of the chosen Israel. It has always been by faith. Even all the way back when Abraham was called, you come to the New Testament, it says it was accounted his righteousness 
what? His faith. He believed in God and that was accounted for his righteousness. So it has always been by faith. And so he is speaking to this faithful remnant from every generation of Israel. You need not fear. You're mine. And why are you mine? Because of you believe in him. Look at verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. If you do a careful reading of the Old Testament, you will find the ebb and flow of the nation of Israel, the ups and the downs, constantly ups and the downs. And the nation of Israel has gone through a lot of stuff. I mean a lot of stuff. He says, I'll be with you, and through the rivers they shall overflow you. When you walk through the fire, nor shall you not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Again, God is telling them that this is in, in, indicative of nothing you do. It's because I've chosen you and because I have put my mercy upon you. You don't have to worry. Notice what he says. I gave Egypt for your ransom. Remember when they were in Egyptian bondage and they were let, let, let go? When they were let go from Egyptian bondage, the people actually paid them to leave. And then they chased after them and they parted the Red Sea and the Egyptians went into the sea and the sea swallowed them up. It's a ransom. Ethiopia and Seba in your place, since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Verse 5, here it is again. Fear not, for I am with you. The reason Israel did not have to fear God is because He was with them. And the reason He was with them is because He loved them. He loved them because He chose them and He put His His sight upon them and he deemed them to be precious because they're his chosen people. And he said, therefore, you need not fear. Notice what else he's going to do. Verse 5, I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone is called by my name whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Bring out the blind people who have eyes and the deaf who have ears, and all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, it is truth. God says, I'm going to gather all of my family, all of my descendants, all of my daughters, everyone that is called by my name, I will gather them together. It is interesting to note that Daniel Dundur, one of our missionaries, uh, has dual citizenship. His mother was born in Israel. He grew up in the United States. He was born in the United States. He is now back as a dual citizen. Now think about this. There are people living in the United States that were born in Israel. 
And there are people who are born in Israel that are living in the United States that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they will be regathered one day. Why? Because the underlying, pro- the underlying premise of, of uh, God's creation for us is that He would be with us, that He would be glorified, and that, you know, obviously we would be with Him. And we would glorify Him, we would praise Him. And that's the underlying premise behind all of this. Verse 10, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed. Now listen, God is laying out for them what's going to happen. And he is saying, because I've chosen you, because I've loved you, there'll be ebbs and flows. You're going to go through things all throughout your life, and he's going to be more specific in just a moment. But I want you to know, I want you to know that you need not fear because I'm going to be with you. And when all of this takes place, when all of this culminates and all of this comes together in the end, Israel is going to be a witness to all the world that there is but one God, and before him there's no other gods, There'll never be any other gods. I, verse 11, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. All the world will see this. I have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there is no foreign God among you. Therefore, again, repetition is a great teacher. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Can you imagine the testimony throughout all of eternity in the kingdom and throughout all of eternity of someone who was with the Lord when they walked across the Red Sea on dry ground? Can you imagine? They say, listen, there's only one God. I'm living proof that there's only one. One God. Indeed, before the day was, I am He, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? So God has given a general promise to Israel that through the ebbs and flows of life and through every generation, all that's going to happen, those who by faith believe in the Lord, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. And when this all regathering takes place, all the world will know in the kingdom that I am God, that I am the only Savior. I'm at work, and who can reverse it? No one. No one can reverse it. Verse 14 says, Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, For your sake I will send to Babylon. Now he's speaking more specifically to those who are in Babylonian captivity, those exiles. He said, I'm going to send to Babylon and I'm going to bring them all down as fugitives. 
The Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships, I'm bringing them down. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. And now he's specific and he says, I'm going to give you a promise. And this promise is unlike any other promise. Look at verse 16. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not... Remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. If you underline your Bible, underline this next phrase, because this is wonderful. Verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. When will this happen? This will happen in the millennial kingdom. You see, this is hard for a lot of people to understand. Isaiah doesn't mention the church because the church is not in view. As a matter of fact, according when you come to the New Testament and you find out a mystery, what is the mystery? The mystery was the church. The Old Testament saints knew nothing of the church. They could only see their future Israel. And so... Isaiah is prophesying to the nation of Israel. They're looking off into the future, and there's coming a day when God's going to make everything right for Israel. Romans 9 through 11 tells us that God is not finished with Israel, and we know that Israel must go through the tribulation period, and after they go through the tribulation period, the second coming of Christ, then his kingdom is established, and that's when all these things will take place. Is there rivers in the desert? No. Is there a road in the wilderness? No. Oh, there might be paths and so on and so forth. But what is he referring to? He's referring to this new exodus, this new thing he's going to do. What is the new thing he's going to do? Establish his kingdom. You see, the deliverance that's going to come is going to come through the Messiah. And I will tell you this, Israel will not experience the glee and the joy that God is talking about until the millennial kingdom. They will constantly be under threat. They will constantly have rockets from Hezbollah shot to them. Nation will rise against them. The Bible teaches all this. It's going to happen until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. That's what he's talking about. Verse 20, the beast of the field will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare praise. So God's given this promise, and I'm sure that the exiles were thinking, okay, Isaiah, wonderful. You prophesied this. Now we're in Babylonian captivity. How does all this work? When's all this going to happen? Well, God has to deal with Israel before the Deliverer comes and gives them this kingdom. He has to deal with their obstinance. He has to deal with their disobedience. He has to deal with their idolatry. Look at verse 22. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob. 
You have not called upon me. And you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have bought me, brought, you have bought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you know what you've done, Israel? You have burdened me with your sins. Plural. You have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. God says, listen, this is what you've done. But even in God's discipline, there's grace and there's mercy. Verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. That's wonderful, right? I mean, can you imagine that? Could you imagine, okay, listen, I just told you, you're weary of me, you're burdening me with your sins, and now I'm saying, listen, I'm going to blot them out and I'm not going to remember them. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case. Lay out your case for me, Israel, that you may be acquitted. God says, let me give you my point of view. Your first father sinned. Who was your first father? Abraham. Remember that we used to teach our kids? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. We used to teach our kids that. When they spoke about their first father, all the Jews knew that he was talking about Abraham. Did Abraham sin? Of course he sinned. Everyone sinned. But not only Abraham, your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. Who's your mediators? Who's your princes of the sanctuary? The prophets and priests. Remember all throughout the nation of Israel, throughout the years, all the prophets and the priests, the false prophets and the priests who did things contrary to God's way, how they turned their backs and how they burned incense to, to, and they practiced idolatry. I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to the reproaches. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to, tra- I'm going to wipe away all your sins, but before that happens, I'm going to give Jacob to the curse and Israel to the reproaches. Do you know that during the tribulation period, primarily God will be dealing with the nation of Israel? As his wrath is unleashed on them. And, and the scripture teaches that those who endure to the end, he's talking about those Jews who endure through that to the end, will be saved. You know why they'll endure to the end? Because they believe in him and they trust him. But there'll be many who trust in him during the tribulation period and they die. But before the kingdom comes and all that glory And all those promises to Israel, he first must deal with their sin. And I want to make some points of application here for us. 
because we're not Israel. But there are some similar applications that we must take heed of in this passage. Number one, those who are in Christ need not fear. If you're in Christ Jesus, you need not fear. Listen to me. Um, the media wants you afraid and wants you fearful, wants you torn up, wants you fighting amongst each other. But if you know Jesus Christ, everything is going to be all right. Do you know that there is something worse than death on this earth? It's called hell. It's much more severe than dying on this earth. And those of us who are in Christ, we have no fear of hell because we have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no fear of hell. If you're in Christ, you have no reason to worry about hell. Because God is with us. Here in a month or so, we're going to celebrate Christmas. The birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel. Being interpreted, God with us. God with us. Why is He with us? Because He loves us. He loves us. And listen. He loves us because He's God. He loves us for our sake, not because we're good. He loves us because He is good. Number two, those who are in Christ are accepted by Him because of nothing we have done, but because of His grace and His mercy. You cannot do anything in your flesh, to make God love you any more than He loves you. That's good, isn't it? But do you know something even better? You can do nothing to make God love you any less than He loves you. That's even better. Because I would be to the more of doing something that I would think that would make Him love me less. Yet, He doesn't. God loves us because of His grace and His mercy. Because He is God. This is why we have to be adamant about this. This is why we need to preach more about Christ, more about God, not more about all this other stuff. You know, I, 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 for years I've stood in this pulpit and pointed out the flaws of other churches, and I, I, I repent, I confess that to the Lord and repent. What they do in their church is none of my business. It should not be my business. I can't judge their motives. What has come abundantly clear to me is in this time that we live in, what we need more than anything is to preach Christ. Paul said, I, I, if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast about the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. And I will tell you this. I am no better than any person in any church in this area, in this world. But by God's grace, I'm in Christ because I believed in Jesus Christ. And I received His grace and His mercy. Number three, those who are in Christ will be disciplined when we wander away from Him through sin. The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. 
The Bible does tell us that God loves us, but He loves us too much to allow us to remain the way we are. Even when He disciplines us, Hebrew says, He does it out of love, out of grace, and out of mercy because we're His children. And I know of no parent, again, unless you're an abuser, no parent loves to discipline his or her children. It breaks your heart, but you know you have to do it because it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Just like Israel, God loved Israel too much to just allow them to do whatever idolatry they wanted to do. He said, you're going to have to be given to the curse. You're going to have to go through the reproach. And then lastly, I would say this, those who are in Christ should be a witness to the world for Him. There's more to being a witness than standing up and yelling. The greatest witness for Christ is when His character is revealed through us. The fruit of the Spirit. See, we Baptists, we like to... You know, we like to throw down every once in a while. We like to get in a good argument with somebody. We'll sit them straight. We'll give them, give it to them. But Jesus was never that way. Oh, the religious crowd, he had very harsh things to say to, to them. But to the sinners, he was meek. And he responded in love. Now, he didn't violate the truth but he responded to them in love and what we need especially today is for men and women to see Christ in us I was in a conversation with a really good friend of mine he goes to another church and I was negative and I, I was under conviction I called him back and I said hey man I I need to apologize. He said, what do you want to apologize to me for? I said, I was negative, and I'm trying to stop that. I'm really trying to be more like Jesus Christ, and that was not Christ-like, and I apologize. And he said, well, maybe I just bring it out in you. I said, no, I'm not blaming you. I'm blaming me. And uh, I don't say that for you to think anything of me because I struggle daily with my character being like Christ. Christianity can easily be fake. You can fool people. I can stand up here and preach things. But listen, you cannot fake the character of Christ. You cannot fake the fruit of the Spirit. can't do it. And God says to the nation of Israel, I want you to be my witness to the world. When the world looks at you, I want the world to see me in you. And God says to the church, I want the world to see me in you. That's what he says to us. So may we understand that we are his We have been bought with the blood of Christ. May we relish in that, that we belong to Him. May we understand we don't need to fear. May we understand that we are accepted in Him not by anything we have done, but because of His goodness. 
that when we wander, He must bring us back, and that we should be a witness for Him in the world. I pray that Christ will do that in our hearts and lives tonight. Father,